Welcome to episode 184 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. We're coming to you with our post-dread, post-dread, is that what I said? Post, yes. that, that makes sense. A I mean... Freudian slip there. Um, a post-trade deadline podcast and... We don't have a whole lot to talk about in terms of the books. I mean, we'll be wrapping up here in five minutes, so we just thought we'd check in with all of you, but the books didn't really do anything. They, of course, did make the Tyler Zeller move earlier in the week, which we've already discussed about in the emergency podcast. We'll probably just talk a little bit more in the context of what we've seen around the league. But otherwise, on a day that did get pretty busy for a while, mainly just with the Cavs and the teams the Cavs were dealing with. I guess the Pistons did some things too. The books sat it out, and according to Matt Velasquez at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, he tweeted after it, I quote, trade deadline has come and gone with no moves from the books. Players expressed to me at practice day that they like the structure and chemistry of the team they have now. GM John Horst was on hand smiling, talking with multiple guys, but I never saw him on his phone. Uh, which, okay, surprising. But he has a beeper. He forgot <laughs> to add that in. That horse is a big, big proponent he was, of beepers. He's being paged the whole time. Big beeper, this was a big beeper brand. Oh, God. So, yeah, the trade deadline relatively quiet for the books and the business they did do, they got done early. Jordan, considering what we have seen now, what we have seen in the last few days, how are you feeling on the Tyler Zeller deal? I'm, you are pretty much just. You know, it's fine, which is probably still the case the other day, but I know I had voiced the concern, well, the only way this starts to look like something of a bad deal is if some real bargains are to be had in trades in the couple of days that have, that, that followed. From my position, I don't feel that happened. No, the only real uh, upgrade candidate that we all talked about on our post-Zeller pod um was that got moved was Willie Hernan Gomez and I would say that was a questionable deal on Charlotte's part. Oh, it was um, a bad deal. Uh yeah. first of all, Billy Jordan. I know it says Willie. Isn't it Willie? No, he it's Billy. He he well, likes this is just Billy. silly. Oh, I can't argue with that. Um or Herna Gomez anyway. Yeah, that was the one that I really felt like, you know, if he goes for the same price or less, then you're going, huh. Instead, the Hornets sent him sent two better second round picks. I mean, we talked at length about 
all second round picks are not created equal the other day and two <laughs> two superior second round picks were sent in that deal plus the legend Johnny O'Brien too they waved very quickly which oh, I mean Johnny, o- Johnny O'Brien is actually a capable basketball player compared to Rashad Vaughn for example so the Hornets gave up a lot in that and then they don't have an obvious spot to give Hernan Gomez minutes so exactly a very perplexing deal for Charlotte. That was the real standout, I guess, in terms of a confusing move. The one thing, I guess, the you know player I had talked about quite a bit in the lead-up to it, and I think with good reason, a lot of teams have soured even since I initially was spoken, but that was Willie Reed. Obviously, he's been issued a six-game suspension by the NBA, after his uh, domestic violence case from back in September, I believe, mm-hmm. um, came to a close through the through the courts. The NBA issued a six-game suspension. Pistons probably could have made some use of him, but ultimately decided, hey, we'll move him on. He went to Chicago in a deal for Jameer Nelson, another guy we talked about if the books were going to get into business again around deadline day. And all indications are maybe it happened already and I missed it even that Willie Reed will be waived by the Bulls. So I don't I don't know. There's not really anything to feel like the Zeller move was a big mistake. There's nothing to prove that. I think the value that went around in deals kind of indicates, you know, it was a fine deal. It's pretty solid and it's now on Zeller to see if he can offer something to the books and it's on Prunty to utilize him in a way where you know, some of the weaknesses that were being exposed before are now maybe masked up in some ways by Tarzar's presence. Now let's not bury the lead here. I don't know about you, but I I never perused, you know, trying to hear Tyler Zeller's voice before. But the Bucks released a practice report video uh, um, hosted by Tyler Hughes, as he does often. And they're currently in Miami today as we record. And there's just something very fascinating about Tyler Zeller's voice. That's the big strength in this trade. Uh, And also maybe getting Jason Kidd fired almost a month ago. But back to (laughs) Zeller's voice. I don't know. There's something. It's very calming. It's a very calming voice. Something about. Is it the tone of the voice? Or were you surprised by the accent? There's like a hint of like sweet molasses. Like that southern. It's very, it sounds very like... slight. He, I believe, I don't know if his brothers were the same, if it was a passing through kind of thing. He was born in California. I remember seeing that in recent days. And his accent isn't, his accent to me doesn't fit with what I imagine. But then it's kind of, it's just, it's, it, you know, it's nice. It's not a specific accent. He, it's it's like kind he, of broad. There's a nice, you know, go on. Born in California, but grew yeah. up in Washington, Indiana. Indiana, sorry. Which, Went to school in right. North Carolina. I mean, that's going Southern this Indiana too. So he's he's been all around the place, and it, it kind of feels like he doesn't have one specific accent. It's just like a nice kind of you know. He has his it's own a melting pot, voice. a melting pot of different dialects and tones, and it makes for a wonderful broth. Just a mwah. It all comes together to make sweet, sweet music. Yes. So my the, grade from the, for the Zeller trade goes from a C to a B minus based on his voice. <laughs> that would be a bit, we should honestly change our harsh. trade grades. That's a bit harsh. I was on B minus. No, what was your trade grades? Mine was B minus, and oh, 
the note that I applied with it was this grade could get higher in the coming days, depending on what the value is for centers moves around the deadline. And honestly, with that in mind, I would probably bump it up to a B. I, I think it's a very solid to good deal from the books. It was the kind of the kind of deals I was dreading seeing elsewhere never came about. And we should give John Horse credit for that because I mean the rumors that we did see with the books prior to the deadline, we saw them having expressed interest in DeAndre Jordan, in Dwayne Deadman, in Kylo Quinn. That's kind of covering a fairly wide breadth of centers of different profiles, different salary types. And it shows, okay, the books wanted a center. They explored their options. They reached out and they found someone they could do a deal with. Even, I mean, I know Deadman and O'Quinn in particular were two guys we really liked and talked to for a long time and were favorites of a lot of books fans. Even says something, neither of those two guys actually ended up traded. So it's hard to kind of, you know, go in on the books for not trading for those guys when they may have made the phone calls like other teams and the price that might have come back might have been, you know, we want a first-round pick. And in that scenario, they got a better option out of Zeller. And again, I've written about it. We mentioned it on the podcast the other day, but it's worth reiterating. The most valuable part of Zeller could come next season if he happens to be productive this year. And then you have that super cheap contract around next year when the books will have so many other things going on. That would be helpful, and it would help provide some continuity, Jordan. Remember continuity? Remember that was the buzzword? Tyler Zeller could be a part of continuity wave two. And, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens from there. Any other thoughts on the books, trade deadline, outlook? I mean, I see a lot of fans have already started kind of pivoting to talk about buyout candidates and where the books fit in with that. My reaction is they don't have a roster spot, and I don't know who will be available that will want to come to Milwaukee over some of the other options available to them that you then dump a Sean Kilpatrick or a Jet or something to go and make that happen. Are you very much satisfied with the book's roster as it stands being the roster that carries them through to the end of the year? Yeah, I, I, I personally am kind of befuddled by the piping up of the buyout market that is to come. I just don't, I, mean, I don't know. I understand people just like moves for the sake of moves, but I just don't really think there's anything of value. Of course, injury may always strike and dire consequences may have to, uh, uh, you know, arise. But I just, I think for right now, it's fine. I think Kilpatrick or or Jet picking up like nominal point guard minutes for the next, you know, three to four weeks. And that's the other thing too with the, obviously since I think that was before was, did the Delhi injury, was that Tuesday or Monday? Was that after we recorded? That was, was in the meantime, right? Sunday. Oh, when the news actually came out? Yeah. yeah news actually uh, came out. That was Tuesday, right? It was the same day as the salary deal. So that was Monday. Monday. That was Monday? Wow. Um, it, it, anyway, was after, um, it was after we'd recorded our podcast specifically about that. I don't know if we, we I think we briefly mentioned on our emergency podcast in terms of whether they look to do anything else. Yeah, that's right. Um, but you have the All-Star break. I mean, that counts as one of the one of the weeks that's going to be in between, obviously doing easy math and reading the calendar. So I think for right now, that is manageable from the Bucks' perspective for 
you know, you obviously don't want to overwork your main three guys. You don't want to overwork Bledsoe considering the kind of dips in form and, you know, knocks that he's picked up since coming to Milwaukee. So I, I just don't think, I don't think they're going to have to, you know, tread like big minutes with, you know, Kilpatrick or Jet or whoever, whatever else lineup that, unconventional lineup that you throw out there. I think for right now it's it's pretty solid. So I just, I didn't think there's any, you know, potential buyout name that really is that interesting that, you know, stop all, stop the bus. We got to, you know, try to pick them up kind of thing. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm worried about Bledsoe, even through that short a span of time, staying healthy for all of that. It's just not who he is. It has, hasn't been who he's been so far with the books. So that'll be the one concern is even the most minor of injuries to him. And then, well, what are you left with? Where are you going then? Um, the one thing I will say that, I don't know, there's not a lot of discussion about, and fair enough, I mean, we can only go what's it been given officially at this point. From further reading I've done on general kind of recovery timelines for both Brogdon and Delhi's injuries, I... They seem to me to be leaning slightly on the optimistic side. Mm. I mean, Delhi's is a gray tree ankle sprain, which is the most severe kind of ankle sprain you can have. It generally indicates more severe structural damage. So three to four weeks, to me, that really sounds like three weeks is very unlikely. And if it's four weeks, you're right at the tail end of four weeks, maybe going over that. And Brogdon's injury is one that's notoriously difficult to kind of fully get back to health from. So even that's six to eight weeks, that's a little bit more vague to begin with. And in his and when case, he returns, it's going to be right against the playoffs. So any like kind of tune up games or warm up games, I mean, well, if you, <laughs> imagine he returns a week late, I mean, then you're almost at the playoffs with him returning. Yeah. So. That, that's something I think we're keeping an eye on. And, you know, at this point, I don't know what the books can do about that. If they can do a whole lot, they just have to hope both guys recover really well and be really diligent with the rehab and get them back there healthy, fully healthy, as quick as they possibly can. But that's one thing I think is probably worth keeping an eye on. It doesn't take a lot of further reading on just generally what it takes for those injuries. And other players in the NBA who've experienced similar injuries to feel like those timelines might just be a little optimistic. But, I mean, the books are probably due some luck in that regard at this point, so hopefully they'll get some. Moving on from the books, Journal, let's kind of... Let's take a wider look at the Eastern Conference. As we record this, the books are half a game back of the Wizards in fourth place one game behind the Cleveland Cavaliers in third place. And, okay, there is still plenty of teams behind them in position. If the Bucks were to have any kind of slip-up again, you can fall out of there, you know, relatively quickly. The Pacers are just one game back of the Bucks. The Heat are two games back, and, of course, they're Milwaukee's next opponent. And then three games back brings you right back to the tie between the Sixers and the Pistons at eight and nine. Will we start with the moves? We start with the Cavs and the Pistons, I guess, the teams who are, are worth talking about and having shaken things up a little bit. I mean, the, the Cavs are a very different team 
let me see if I can remember all of the outgoings um, <laughs> and where they went. Shumpert and Fry to Sacramento? Yep. Crowder. No, no, no. Shumpert, Shumpert to Sacramento, Fry to LA with Isaiah. Okay, see, I'm wrong already. So, Shumpert to the Kings, Fry and Isaiah Thomas to the Lakers, Crowder and... Who else to Utah? Who am I forgetting? Derek Rose. Derek Rose, who with an E, D E R E K. <laughs> yeah, I think the Cavs have still got Derek D E R or I C K Rose on their roster, but they've managed to offload Derek Rose. Um, that's five. There's one other guy who moves, wasn't there? I should really just. I should not have trusted myself to remember. Fry, yeah. it Shumpert. Derek Rose, Crowder. I think that's it. Oh, Wade. Yeah, Wade got traded. Wade, Wade to the Heat. Okay. And in return, the Cavs brought in Larry Nance Jr., Jordan Clarkson, George Hill, and Rodney Hood. I I think, personally, the best way I could describe their moves is I think they've both got better and not fixed their biggest areas of weakness, which... I mean, I don't know what the option was for them to fix all of their problems. They have considerable problems. I don't think that was really something that was in play for them. I do think they have potentially got better. I think they'd probably get better by losing some of those guys regardless. They'll get better by maybe just bringing some more youth energy into the locker room and just kind of breaking up what was clearly a toxic environment. I mean, the Cavs were in free fall. It was starting to feel like, you know, just a matter of time before the Cavs would drop below that third spot and a team like the books could go and get them. Where are you at with the Cavs or what are your expectations for them for the rest of the season after shuffling the deck a bit? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think for one, they got younger. (laughs) That was the biggest problem that they had is that they had all these old guys and they weren't really athletic and they were injury prone and all this stuff. And obviously the, the last month of just, you know, toxic crud coming from that locker room from all angles of the locker room and ownership and all this stuff. They address a lot of that. I mean, you know, I think it's, I think at the time, I mean, I was one of the, I personally consider the Kyrie trade Isaiah trade at the time. I was like, Oh, that was a good return. Obviously that's not the case. I think to move away from that, uh, as fast as they did, that is to recognize that and address that as fast as they did was a good move on their part. But I think in terms of everything, I think I like I like some guys. I think they're all fine. Um, but I just we'll see if it all comes together and how much, uh, you know, just getting younger and getting more athletic, able bodied players uh, will translate into actual productivity. Um, I think that's the biggest biggest uh you know part about this they've also removed most of the ego that was there to compete with lebron in that locker room like if you think bringing in young guys who've been in pretty terrible situations and george hill who has always seemed like a very steady veteran to have in a locker room as opposed to i mean whatever isaiah thomas has been doing in recent weeks since coming back from injury Derek Rose and he's going to get married mid-season and all of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think 
D Wade was at least rowing the same way as LeBron and the rest of the team, but it just wasn't working out. They like were they to, hoped to use this old adage. They were there are a lot of factions within that locker room, right? And I, I think that kind of someone even like Jay Crowder, who you know could be useful coming out of that trade in the summer. He's had an awful season, but could be useful. Like I think it was Brian Windhorst was saying on the jump today that you know him and Isaiah Thomas were their own little clique. You know that was that was those guys over there together. And I think anyone who was kind of <laughs> that entrenched with Isaiah Thomas and not the rest of the team probably wasn't going to have the most successful spell in Cleveland. So they've dealt with a lot there. I'm just going to take a moment to toot my own horn, Jordan. And say I hated that Kyrie Irving deal for the Cavs in the summer. I didn't understand where people are coming from with it. I think Altman deserves credit for being able to do this. This can also end up pretty bad pretty quickly, though. And I'm no more inspired by what people be left to say. Oh, this is what the Cavaliers got from Kyrie. Look at that. And I mean, that's kind of amusing. And it's also at a point where. If LeBron actually does leave in the summer, it will be a pretty unbelievable job of, you know, kind of just tearing down what was a healthy base even around LeBron. You know, they built a roster that was a championship level roster for multiple years. He was obviously the key piece, but they've really blown through a whole lot of stuff. So I don't keeping the Nets pick that may seem like a big victory. And the Cavs have to actually make a good selection with that pick, which is an organization, not exactly their greatest strength. They haven't always got that one entirely right. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how all of that pans out. Are you more are you more confident in the Cavs in terms of from a book's perspective? Do you feel they're as shaky as they were more shaky, less shaky? Like is third place in play still for Milwaukee or should we be kind of saying you know what okay LeBron's going to get it together they've upgraded in certain departments fourth place is really you know probably the, the ceiling for the books in terms of regular season finish this year Um, I don't know I really don't know I mean they've had mid-season shakeups before but this is to an unprecedented degree um and I know Isaiah Thomas is going to get, I mean, everybody's laughing at his stay in Cleveland considering he only played like 15 games. But Jay Crowder was equally horrible. I mean, he was just awful, awful for them. I mean, Ante Zizic, Zizic and the Nets pick that is going to convey this year, <laughs> those are the survivors. And I don't think anybody really predicted Ante Zizic, you know, surviving over those two at this, at this so soon at least. Um, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts that they have to assemble. And again, I, who knows? We don't know. No one really saw, no one, even for how down everybody was with their off season in general, no one saw them being this, you know, horrific, having these horrible stretches for as long as they've had. So, I mean, anything's really fair game at this point. I, I, they could go on, you know, a crazy November-like r- run, uh, from this point on, or they could have kind of more 500 ball, a little bit above average. Who knows? Again, I who who really knows with this team at this point? 
I think the interesting thing will be that, you know, it could take them a bit of time just to get it together and have guys settle in. And I'm not sure how much of that they can afford. You know, if things are bad for a, for a week or so, or say the 10 days heading into All-Star break or whatever it is now to All-Star break, that will get people nervous. That will get people very nervous. You'll get people talking, you know. They can't really afford more slumps like that, and it might be natural to get that even if they do figure it out further down the road. From where I'm standing, I think it's a tougher one, but I think, you know, a spot like that is still wide open for the books. The Wizards right now, I mean, just give me the Wizards. I mean, if we could just call the season right now and have a 4-5 or five matchup, books and Wizards where, you know, Marcin Gortad is, like, tweeting things about getting better but the team being better without john wall and john wall's going on tv then and saying he gives him the easiest look so he doesn't know what he's saying i i mean with all of that stuff the wizards just aren't cut out for professional sport that's basically they are their mindset is a source of frequent amusement for me and i want books wizards jordan i've been beating that drum now this is the second year i'm doing that but just give it to me that team can crumble we can watch a team not named the books just crumble in front of us in the postseason. That could be a great team playoff series. Outside of that, I mean, the Pistons are the team to talk about because obviously the Pistons have won five straight. They're charging since picking up Blake Griffin. They made some nice, solid moves around the roster today. They got uh, James Ennis for Bryce Johnson, and they've been kind of lacking in quality wing options for quite some time. That's a nice, solid pickup. Uh, Jameer Nelson for Willie Reed. Jameer Nelson is a very solid veteran point guard who should be able to do solid, reliable things for them. And obviously, uh, he's someone who Stan Van Gundy has a very long-standing relationship with, dating back to those Magic teams. Right now, it's very difficult to imagine the Pistons not making the playoffs. Who do you think is in most danger of falling out. Do you just see it being, okay, well, they'll jump the Sixers and that's it? Or does the Heat's recent run, I mean, three and seven across their last 10, does that give you cause for trepidation? What way are you seeing the rest of the Eastern Conference play out? I don't know. I, I mean, the Pistons are, you could unequivocally say, are besides the Cavs, obviously, considering they were just a, you know, dumpster fire, that they were, you know, the big winners. Uh, they got remarkably better from the trade deadline. Um, today's moves, I mean, they're solid death pieces, but nothing more than that. Who knows? James Edison's having a fine year, but is that going to translate onto a better team and under a more kind of uh, net freewheeling role, considering just how awful the Grizzlies have been this year? Who knows? Can Jameer Nelson kind of, uh, you know, cobble some of what he was doing last year because he was really fantastic for the Nuggets. Fantastic. Um, I don't know. I, I who knows? I, I Miami. I don't know. I we I mentioned this before we started recording. The I have a funny way, feeling with them generally right now. Funny feeling, yes, and I don't know. I I don't know. I don't. I understand the sentimental reasons for the Wade move, but how they go – that translates into positive results. That's another thing. Um, yeah. I don't know. And, again, I think 
the buyout market is going to be really interesting for teams like Boston and Toronto who really you wouldn't say that they're one move away but you could argue that hey maybe there's just a little tweak in there I think Toronto has a open roster spot now now that I think about it right um, there was something they, about that could wait, be I could be wait, Malachi Richardson I uh, I don't know no but they might have had one pre-existing beforehand I could be wrong um but yeah I think very very Jerry to to have that thought out and to kind of have his options open for that I, I don't know if those teams are too far off being being one move away in terms of like the East is wide open enough. I'm not saying one move away from a championship, but one move away from the finals is kind of, you know, I think that's good enough for everyone. Get to the finals, take your chances, you know, and see what happens. Like that's really, you can't ask for much more right now when not only have you got the Warriors in the West who are obviously going through something of a tough patch right now by their high standards, but also you've got the Rockets. So you know, in the East, it's really about any team who can just kind of catch the breaks the right time. If you get to the finals, you'll take your chances. I'm going to put you on the spot, Jordan. <laughs> I don't. We. I think we had to. We had to answer win totals, or we had to give our vague win predictions updated last week, thanks to a, a question from at David on twenty one. I want your prediction on what place the books finish in in the Eastern Conference. What place? Where are they right now? They're a half game out of They're fifth. They're a half game out one of... One game out of three, out of third. Like, they've played one game less than the Wizards, and they're a half game behind them. Um, so... Yeah. And they're one game out of third in the, the Cavs. And the Cavs, probably worth noting on that, the Cavs are going to really struggle to field a team tomorrow against the Hawks. Um, I, I've seen tweets that they don't know yet how many of those guys are going to be available, if any. It seems unlikely that any of them will be available in time. Obviously, they've got Kevin Love out injured already. So that's six guys they've lost. And Kevin Love out seven. So you're talking Cavs going like eight deep. It is against the Hawks. So, I mean, it's just a game you'll get away with that. It might be that one. But, yeah, give us your your prediction for the book seeding at the end of the season. Fourth. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with you. I'd like to just be bolder than that, but it wouldn't be wouldn't be very sensible of me really, would it? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go fourth. Don't know how far out they'll be from tree. You know, that's gonna be interesting to see. I don't know if any of the teams Wizards are wizards are in a weird spot, and I don't think what's happening without Wall will hold up for them very well longer term. Um, it's even, I mean, the results have been mixed enough as it is, as much as people were talking about how they were doing without Wall. And behind that, like the Pistons could ultimately be the best team behind that by the time we get to playoff time, and they have a long way to go, and I'm not sure just how good they are overall. So. Books are in a really good spot. Just stay healthy, and they're not remotely healthy as is, but just don't get any more injuries. Keep kind of riding the wave of positivity. I mean, there's a lot of smiles out there on the court. There's a lot of smiles in practice. Things seem to be good. All the vibes are very much positive right now. If you can keep that up, those kind of home court goals will still be in play, and from there, who knows? I mean... Squad goals. 
Yeah. Are we moving on to the mailbag, Jordan? Let's. Okay, so the first one from at Alex underscore Koenig 023. Does Zeller make Plumley expendable slash redundant? I know they can't use the two-way on another guy, but this, does this mean he may not even reach his allotted amount of NBA time allowed for a two-way? Um, it makes him redundant somewhat, maybe, although Plumley's performance the other night kind of fought that about as well as he could. He'll He'll hit his amount of NBA days or NBA time, even if you don't see him playing that much, I'm sure just to use those days up, they'd bring those guys to practice, say, at a time where the books might have practice in Milwaukee and the Herder in Oshkosh, just for that experience. I'd like to think, anyway, maybe I'm putting too much faith in how the books use their two ways, but that would be a sensible way to just make use of that. Well, you do have guys even in practice, but does it make them redundant? It should. Go on. Across from you, but um, you have to remember. I think the end date of the regular season, G League regular season, is March twenty third. So days from that point on to the end of the season don't matter; they don't count. So you have that stretch, and with Brogdon, Delhi, and Mirza under you know with his situation going on right now, there's good chance that they're going to run him out just because they're going to feel. Of 15 or 13 because you're going to have one inactive that is a player that can actually play and that could be dj wilson considering how you know he's still with the herd i don't think there's any been you know he hasn't transferred back to the bucks yet so yeah i i mean i don't think it makes them redundant because i just think you need players that can you know translate or not translate i keep using that word during this podcast translate the I'm the horse whisperer, lost in translation. What did Bill Murray say at the end of that movie? Um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, you lost. Did you lose your train of thought in translation? I'm gonna whisper to you. I I think it. I think he redundant is the right term. Honestly, I, I mean, in terms of he's not he's not necessary. If he's necessary in terms of filling spots if they want to have the maximum amount of active guys and DJs to herd, like you said. But I mean, if you're gonna have a healthy Henson, Ton, and Zeller, well then he's not necessary. Now Henson's injured at the moment. We don't know. He's got a hamstring injury. He might miss a couple of games. It could be something that pops up again later in the season. Who knows with all that? But I mean they can't do anything else with those two way deals. So he's there regardless. It's not like he's gonna get waves. He'll be around the team, as Jordan said, once the G League season finishes they are able to kind of come back up and spend time with the books then. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, he seems to be having so much fun. His, his smile, you know, he's just... He brights up a room. I think that's fair. Positive Plumley. Zeller, and by the way. Another, another thing. I, I just discovered this photo. This is after... Well, but we haven't even talked about Yadis's dunk. How we're incredibly irresponsible. We forgot about but, it. We forgot yeah. that the, like about game things happen. How did we do that, Jordan? Yeah, we'll do it at the spot. end. We'll do it at the end. Anyway, uh, there's this brilliant photo of him on this. I don't think is it an ab roller. It's some kind of a rolling tool, workout tool, and he just looks like he is doing like the stomach crunches, doing whatever. Plyometrics, even though that's not he's, the right. He's getting ready to fight Ivan Drago. That's what he yeah, looks exactly. like. It's, 
It's like a Rocky Ford training scene. He's the all-American man, Marshall Plumley. <laughs> doing Matt, he does hashtag Matt Name Marshall. Matt Name Marshall. He puts his he's I would I never <laughs> Okay, we'll move on. I don't know where that was going. We'll move on. And good on Jordan for reminding us about the Anastoke. We will talk about that. Um the next question from at real underscore MR Hagedorn. Not strictly a books question, but sem- semi-related since it's our next opponent. Did you find it funny how Miami ended up getting back Wade and Babbitt in two separate deals? Silly Babbitt. <laughs> that's just kind of a heat thing, isn't it? It seems like the sort of thing that's just going to happen with the heat. What did they give? Was it a... I can't, I'm trying to remember oh, what Cara they gave. White. Cara White. and Was there anything else? No. So the Hawks just were saying, go and play on a team that can do things. Um, well, Hawks are a, a, kind of a weird. I don't know. Bad Tra- team. I don't know what Travis Schlenk is doing there, really. Schlenk. Um, yeah. I, I don't I'm know. A, they promised Bellinelli he'd be traded. Sort of Memphis. Didn't trade. Chris Broussard. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. That's that's something other people can worry about. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a little weird, but very Miami. And Deadman, I mean, we forgot about Deadman. They, yeah, that, no, that the, is... him as well. We and about... and oh. I mean, a ton of guys, really. Everyone except John Collins was supposedly, although I, I would hard, find it hard to believe that Torian Prince was also available. But uh, Bembry, yeah. there was something I saw that they were talking about Bembry too. Well, he's I think he's had bad injuries. He's been injured a lot, so yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough Hawks. Moving on to another one from Real MR, Real underscore MR Hagedorn. Do you feel like we match up better with Cleveland now on paper? LeBron is still ahead of Giannis, but who is their second best player? Hot take, healthy Isaiah, if it had ever happened, is ahead of anyone non-Giannis on our roster. Now it is a banged up love by default, right? I mean, love was better than Isaiah to begin with. Like infinitely better than Isaiah Thomas for me. I don't think that's forget about the weird MVP season that was last. Did he year. say? Did he say that they're better now, or the Bucks match up better now compared to before? Right. That's not true. I, the Cavs he, just, I, well, I think the the main part of it was that a healthy Isaiah, if it had ever happened, was better than anyone not named Giannis on the Bucks roster. I'm not. I'm not the biggest Isaiah fan. Isaiah and Love were better than anyone not named roster, not named Giannis on the roster. No, because he says it now. It's a banged up Love by default. As in, it seems like that makes them a better matchup. Like I mean, one Love, it won't necessarily be banged up. He's injured now, and when he's back, he may be healthy. That would be the goal. But I don't know. I, I'd say it's hard to say the books match up better with the Cavs now that the Cavs have younger, more athletic players because the books could have had a lot of fun tearing through some of those older guys, say in a playoff series. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't see how swapping George Hill for Isaiah Thomas helps in terms of a matchup. The, they'd be much better prepared to defend, say, in Eric Bledsoe. Schumpert is wildly inconsistent. Okay, Clarkson is equally... They're longer as well now, which is something that should help them match up with the books. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'm not sure I'd swing too much either way, but I, I'd find it hard to justify the books matching up better now. And plus, I feel Kevin Love was 
regardless of how healthy Isaiah had been at any point this season, is the second best Cavs player. Might be a good idea for the Cavs to start treating him like that when he comes back. It's just just an idea. I'm just putting it out there. From at David on 21, who will have a better rest of the season slash postseason? Chris Middleton or Eric Bledsoe? Bledsoe. I think Middleton. Maybe I'm just struggling to... Like, if Bledsoe can play like he's played his last two games, which has been really great, he looks like a different player, well, then the answer will be him, and I'll be very happy, but I'm just not sure I can buy into that fully just yet. Um, Chris is already talking about giving up shots now that Jabari's back and having to alter his role. I don't know if you saw those those quotes, but... I think Chris, I mean, I think both guys can be good, but Bledsoe is showing positive signs which weren't there before at the moment. Not, not saying he was a complete negative, but this is a very different Eric Bledsoe. When, yeah, when he's attack-minded Bledsoe, it, that changes the game. That's why uh, the Nets, you could kind of, that was he was kind of hitting more mid-rangers, but like it, the game against the Knicks, he was really good. And not even just that, he was more deferential. I mean, he was passing, uh, there were some of them were, you know, a little errant, but he was still I think he had eight assists that night. That was, if you want Eric Bledsoe to kind of be a more all-around point guard, that's the type of performance that you want. Granted, it was the Knicks, but um, that's that was what made that night better. Plus, I, I don't know. I just, it was interesting. Chris Middleton was on the full 48 with Howard Beck, mm-hmm. and he was talking about his three-point shot, and obviously he's shooting like, what, 36%? I think that might be around up. And he was talking about how he's kind of had to maneuver or kind of work around. He's saying he has a mechanics issue with the spin coming off the ball that he's kind of working yeah. on. And, I mean, whenever you talk about mechanics midseason and tweaking something, that's not, I wouldn't say that's good. Well, he kind of said um, he wasn't tweaking it, which was it was also weird because he, he kind of said a contradiction. There is a spin thing there, and I'm just kind of hoping if I keep doing what I'm doing, it's going to go in. And that was kind of like, well, if the spin thing's there and you just keep doing that, how's it going to? But yeah, I, I did listen to that podcast. I know that too. I mean, on a Middleton note, he also dropped into Sports Illustrated. I think it did something with Jared Swirling as well. Uh, so He's making the rounds. He's making the, I'm in New York City around the time where there's still enough time that there might be an all-star spot. It actually conveniently broke the way where that could happen for him. Um, but his agent, a certain Mr. Schwartz, certainly got Middleton in a few different spots where people could just be reminded of how he was playing and he could be asked the questions of, you know, you're having a good season. You're not in the mix. How do you feel about that? So <laughs> interesting few days from Chris Middleton from a publicity point of view, I'll be... Somewhat intrigued to see how that one works out for him, if it has any bearing. So far, it seems like the the Adam Silver kind of thought process is just whoever's next up on the coach's ballot, which, I don't know, that might serve Middleton well. It's really, you're looking, that's Porzingis one. It's got to be Simmons, Kemba, and Middleton are the only three players I can think of. We have to address this, though. With the amount of injuries that are piling up from Team LeBron, I'd rather not have Middleton be an all-star. Yeah, I think I think that's dumb. 
I don't care. Is it the Porzingis? Who yeah, else? A Why? random, a random NBA team that was just picked to it people a week ago. There's not some sort of. Have you watched the Cavs season? I mean, we're talking about the Cavs here too. Yeah, it's all LeBron. Just people around LeBron are just crumbling. He's a looming specter of destruction. If Middleton can get on an All Star team, albeit as a like fourth reserve. The history books will not remember that. Only David Dunn 21 will remember that. And <laughs> it'll be nice for... As he reacted after Porzingis went out, I saw that tweet. Oh, I, I didn't see that tweet, but <laughs> I can I can prepare myself to hear for many years if Chris Middleton was a fourth reserve making it to an all-star game. But don't worry, David Dunn 21, I will refer to him from that point on if that does happen as former all-star Chris Middleton all of the time. You can be assured of that. From at nihilist underscore books, Derek Rose. <laughs> question mark. Is this is that an account? Not a nihilist Timberwolves account yet. I thought I, I thought I spoke with the person in question about that. I didn't get a reply. I wonder why. Did they include former M- NBA MVP Derek Rose? <laughs> Just... <laughs> Now and he he says that was he, so shameless, shamless. Sorry, shamsless. The one thing Shams did a, I mean, quiet, quiet deadline. For Shams. The one thing he did really well. Oh, was, you just had the your Yorgos Papianos. Oh, I saw that. That still makes it a quiet deadline, Jordan. Come no, on. that's not. No, that's big. My big fat Greek wedding. That's, that's a big big for you, not for the rest of the NBA. In comparison, a former Kings beat writer for who's comparison to the tear that Woj went on today, it's pretty minor. But the one thing he did get right was he spent the last few days just tidying up Woj's spelling mistakes. I'm not convinced that Rashad Vaughn didn't get traded again just so Shams would have the chance to, you know, correct Woj on the spelling. Yeah, no said. From at blue <laughs> underscore eagle <laughs> underscore eleven. From that's just that's just that I'm moving on. Yeah. Can you do a ranking of teams most dangerous to the books in the playoffs? I without even kind of being smart or funny about this in any way. It's I, <laughs> I think it's kind of the standings, right? I think the yeah. teams teams above the books will be the ones who that now it sounds like I'm being really sarcastic, but I, I genuinely think the teams above the books will be the ones most dangerous though. I'm not worried overly about the teams below them. If the Pistons could keep playing really well and just build up momentum... Stop with the Pistons. Come on. If they could build up momentum more than anything. I'm first not, round it's not exit a matchup. If they, if they make the playoffs, which I would probably concede that they will. First round exit. All right. The books have to get out of the first round at some point, so I don't even it's... want a frisky first round opponent. I just have Pistons here. Let's move on from the playoff-starred Bucks. Let's stop with the Pistons. Come on. I think stop. they're a team on the rise. They've got a good no, player. They're not. They're like, not. If winning five in a row isn't the team on the been? rise. Who have they been? I don't know. They've won five in a row. I don't know. I know one was the Grizzlies, which I mean. I just know I keep waking up and they're, they're beating teams. I'm like, look at Here we go. Here we go. These, these are the play, the teams. That I don't they know if we recently... should be getting into the. What teams has this team beaten on their recent resurgence? I don't know if that's the game we should be getting into, Jordan. Fair point. But. <laughs> 
Oh, bus. Let's, okay. Uh, let's just. We're talking about playoffs. We're talking about the when the heat it is on. It to be the Suns, the Nets, Fry. the Wolves, teams like we're talking about now. since Blake Griffin has acquired. They won against the Cavs when he was in uniform. They've been the Grizzlies. They've been the Heat. They've been the Trailblazers. They've been the Nets. So that's two playoff-bound teams. Okay, so they've beaten the Cavs, the Trailblazers, and the Heat. That's part of their five-game run, and you want to dismiss that. Jordan's argument just fell flat on its face there. True. Jordan just has... Jordan has his own Pistons theories that a Pistons resurgence wouldn't fall in line with. This is what happens when Jordan gets attached to ideas, you know, like his like his Celtics agenda. Myself. <laughs> From at Zach underscore Carson. Agree with Horst's decision to stand pat at the deadline, and would you want to dive into the buyout market? I agree. And no, I don't I really don't think this buyout market, I don't think it's this panacea of talent that'll really upgrade their roster again that could change if injury strikes and you have to make a move but i mean some of the names i've already seen boris dl joe That's, johnson you're a cherry guys picking. i mean i'm not joe, cherry joe picking johnson. i just see these joe are the johnson some of the first would be a perfectly good be, yeah, guy to add fine. um the books but are again, not getting Joe Johnson. He's going to Golden State or Boston or Cleveland or some team like that. He's not going to the books. No, but I'm just saying we're talking about guys that are 35. They're going to be bought out for a reason. They're retreads. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about practice. I knew that was what was coming. I knew that was what was coming. Um, yeah, Jordan's got Jordan's got problems with all sorts of people. I, I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> what happened? Does everyone else remember when Jordan used to be fun? I keep saying this to him. Um, I agree with the decision to stand pat. I mean, if he could have got a point guard for nothing, I mean nothing. If Jameer Nelson could have been got for essentially nothing. The problem is just having got rid of Rashad Vaughn, the books didn't have a whole lot of nothing to give, which is difficult. I mean, we'll wait and see who the buyout guys are. I'm not envisaging a situation where someone really comes available that wants to come to Milwaukee and, you know, you go do it. But, hey, for example, Joe Johnson is a player who would be worth having for the rest of the season for a playoff run if you can get him. So when Joe Johnson is bought out, make the phone call. Don't go doing anything with your roster spots. Make the phone call. Be like, Joe, would you be interested in coming to Milwaukee? He'll say no, and then you can move on and, you know, Jason Terry, Sean Kilpatrick are safe in their roster spots. I mean, they can see what happens. I'm not sure there's really going to be anything there that's worth just kind of shaking things up further as well. Just kind of let things settle in, let guys get into their roles. I mean, I'm starting to think of a dead weight on the team right now. Honestly, with Vaughn gone, I mean, the the only dead weight is probably DJ Wilson, and he's a rookie. He's a he's a rookie who was very raw to begin with. They're now sending him to play with the herd more and quite frankly they should just leave him in Oshkosh for the rest of the season and let him properly play and you know maybe get some places but guys who are regularly going to be in the mix to play for the books from night to night I don't know who's just dead weight Jet, Jets played some good minutes recently big bio brand from at underscore Al Hopper 
With the Brogdon and Delhi injuries, we still don't have a complete healthy lineup. Should we give Jason Kidd more time as head coach? I was no, going to make a joke about right. Jason Kidd. Yeah. Uh, someone actually made this to the to the Behind the Book Pass account last night. I was going to make it earlier. Yes, uh, I thought, you know, the books do need a cheap veteran point guard. I don't why, know. Why not, Jordan? I don't even want to entertain this. <laughs> why not? He who shall not be named shall not be named again. Hashtag kid back. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> joke. Let me take that back. I don't need that. I really don't need that in any capacity ever again in my life. If I can just make it very clear, I don't need it. From at lumber underscore cat. Project who will be the number two offensive option behind Yanis come playoff time. Chris, Bledsoe, Parker, Zeller. Zeller. Yeah, I wish you hadn't given Jordan that option. Yep. Um, yeah, fun. <laughs> oh, that's fun, all right. Um, <laughs> the answer is Jabari for me. I mean, Number two? Yeah. I disagree. No, no, no. Okay, well, let's have the real conversation. Who should be more of an offensive option behind Yanis than Jabari come playoff time? I don't think it's not a question of who should be. I think. Well, it's who will be. Yeah, I don't think who should be. It's who will be. He said should. Why shouldn't it be Jabari? (sighs) He's the best offensive player of those three guys. He's the best offensive player, but I think that really shakes up the dynamic. And. Of course, you want it to, for him to take that mantle and really kind of, you know, obviously with the summer looming, you had, this is your chance to really see what he can do in a high leverage situation. Has a play of the playoffs um, with the Bucks at all? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would like that to happen, but I just, I, I honestly I don't ask- see why it wouldn't. I, I mean, I think. Chris, anyway, I feel pretty confident that Chris knows there are certain things Jabari does that he can't do, and that are good for the team, and that they can mesh together well, but there's more the time... Card is Bledsoe. Right, well, I mean, Bledsoe might just have to get used to that. Jabari's a better offensive player, and I like, if we're putting fade in Prunty, having turned things around some positive we're way... Talking about, we're talking about, you're talking about Jabari as Jabari before he got hurt. I'm talking about Jabari now. If this Jabari uh... continues... To play well and his minutes ramp up by playoff time. It's assuming no bumps in the road between now and then. Yeah, which let's hope. Yeah. But yeah. like he's looked good. He's looked good considering everything coming back. If he can continue to look good for the next two months, builds up his minutes, is looking fully healthy and is putting up good numbers. Why would it be anyone else? He's your he's your next most complete offensive player, and it's not even close. Yeah, I just. Mm. Mm. I didn't think we were gonna have to even talk about this one. I thought that was that to me is well, a no brainer. It's not my. It's not my call to make. I just think it's. I don't. You're being think asked to project. You're being asked to project. Well, who is then? So I think it. You... I think it's gonna be Bledsoe. I think Bledsoe will loom large. even. Yeah. Well, that's not gonna go well. So I'm just saying, I'm, but I'm just taking account of how the last you know three months have been with Butso. He's 
That's Middleton that's has been the second option to me for that time, to be honest. So it would be a real shakeup. I'd feel like Bledsoe would be jumping Middleton, and even with Jabari being back, he'd still be. That to me would be shaking things up. I think Middleton has been the second offensive option, really. Maybe I'm. Oh, maybe to quote I'm... Jason Kidd, one B, one. Oh no. <laughs> One C, one D. Is that what there is? we're going to have now? We're going to have four, four first options. Um, lastly, in terms of questions from David Dunn 21, if Jabari signs an offer sheet, does that eliminate the possibility of the books adding in bead type incentives or protections? If he signs an offer sheet, the books have the option to match or not match the offer sheet. So unless the offer sheet has protections like that for another team, uh, the answer would be that yeah, it would eliminate the possibility, and the chances are another team wouldn't put those protections in there because they're trying to give an offer that the books wouldn't match. Yep. By the way, I see no way that Jabari Parker isn't on the books next season. Mm-hmm. If it takes a max contract, I think he'll be paid up. Obviously, the one variable is he still has to stay healthy, he has to look good, but if that comes to pass, I think Jabari's a book next season. He's a book for the next few seasons, and that could be making more money than a lot of people are comfortable with. But uh, having got through the trade deadline, you know, having got to the point where you're, they've kind of hitched their wagon to him to just let Jabari walk, not getting anything for him, not having the flexibility to go and do other things with your roster. We've reached a point where that makes no sense. That's the part where the books are kind of in a dead spot for a couple of years before other contracts come off the books. So I I think Jabari comes back and he'll come back at whatever price that is. I think the sensible thing for the books to do and the thing they'll look to do will be to try and get a deal done that they can, again, almost be the first deal done at whatever, 12.01 a.m. Eastern on July 1st. Interesting. Jordan, we did forget somehow to talk about the Anna Stunk. That feels like a long time ago. When was that? Yes, that was Tuesday. Two nights ago. Um, I don't know what to say about it at this point. I mean, it was incredible. I didn't realize he had jumped over Tim Hardaway Jr. at first. I, I'm the one who recorded the clip that ended up everywhere. And I didn't realize until I started watching it back after that. So at the time when I posted that clip, I didn't realize. It's impressive. Tim Hardaway Jr. is 6'6", 6'7". That's not just like, it's not jumping over Isaiah Thomas. No. It's not jumping over a car Blake Griffin style. Kia. Optima. That was an optimal alley-oop by my uh, estimation. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the best dunks. Plus, too, he caught it one-handed. One-handed. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's done that with other alley before, but that's a really, I mean... <laughs> he caught it one-handed and made no it, big deal out of jumping over. Made no big deal about it. John Macro's grinning right on the baseline with his... What looked like a red Knicks hat. That was my biggest grit. That hat looked, I mean, I think it was granted. I think it was just a red hat. No, it was a Knicks hat. It was a Knicks hat. He's a Knicks fan. Sure? I know he's a Knicks fan, but I didn't think he was wearing a Knicks hat. It's it's a it's a it's a Knicks hat, but it was I'll, red. I'll trust you. Yeah, I know it was red. Um, is that Giannis' best dunk, in your opinion? 
Uh, well, Eric name of yes. I haven't had a chance to read this yet, but me I neither yet. I'm going to eat, eat, read that. What is what? <laughs> you're gonna eat it? Tropy, tropy, devour it. Yeah, I've not, I've not read it yet, but I mean, he jumps over a literal human being. He's jumping. He clears over him. And it's in Madison Square Garden again. In Madison Square Garden. But he also jumped from the free throw line. That's tough. I think there's a tough thing when kind of measuring dunks up because there's the element of, you know, well, what... You kind of have degree of difficulty and then you have the kind of... the impact. And... The impact could be higher if you get like a lot of noise with it. If Giannis hadn't jumped clean over Tim Hardaway, there would be more kind of noise to it. You know, he also had one. He also had one during the MSG game winner where he was coming from. It wasn't a free throw line dunk, but he was coming from like an angle. Was that that had to have been Lester? Where he was coming and it was like basically just like this tomahawk jam where it was like what? That's the thing is like. His degree, like the degree of difficulty his dunks are normally at when he's doing like Euro steps into dunks or these one taking off of one foot kind of dunks that just are like incredible with his long strides and all that stuff. And then we see what he does, you know, when it's like a self-contained environment, like a, a dunk contest that we'll never talk about again. Um, That's the thing. Like, I don't know. It's hard. It really is hard to rank dunks upon dunks when he's already he's already used to dunking over people. Now he's actually dunked over someone. Or dunked on, or I should say. We're so used to have, seeing him dunk on people like Jared Allen or Aaron Baines or Serge Ibaka from a couple of years ago, all this stuff. Now he's dunked over someone. <laughs> he's literally dunked over someone. It, that's what just makes it so crazy. The only one that I can think of that's in my head as, you know, maybe it's better is also at MSG, and it's the one that's in our in our podcast intro, the the holy uh, moly Holy the, Yeah, that's an underrated one. The overcall Aldrich. That that's one where okay, maybe it's underrated because it's young Yanis, but I mean he really takes off and it's it's one of those dunks where he extends his arm almost Michael Jordan Space Jam esque. You know, he really showcases the Yanis length in going to get that one. Was that his first stink face as well? I feel like it might have been. I think that was the first time he broke that one out. And again, as that I said, that might have been. I mean, I mean, that was definitely. He a... made Sid Moncrief whale. Holy Sid mo. Moncrief, Sidney, Sid, Sid, that's it. Oh. He's Sid. When he breaks <laughs> up the holy moly, he's Sid. Ugh. Sir Sid, come on. Sir Squid. Sid the Squid. Anything else on the Anastonk? Anything else generally, Jordan? Um, I was just going to try to like pull up like an obscure. And the other thing, too, I, I tweeted about this. It was a full circle moment because during Friday's game, the first Knicks-Bucks game of the season, he was heckling Tim Hardaway Jr. at the free throw line when he missed two free throws late. I mean, that's in a matter of days, you heckle someone and then dunk over them hurdling over them. I mean, that's that's a good one-two punch right there. By, yeah, by I don't God. Use, 
I don't know if you saw Tim Hardaway's comments as well. He was kind of he signed up, sort of indicate that he was initially unsure as whether he went over him, and he was he was kind of nice about it. I mean, what can you say? You can't be anything other than just kind of stand there with your tail between your legs. But yeah, yeah, it's a good dunk, a damn good dunk. I, it's right up there, Jordan. I don't know. I feel I feel it's tough to rank something like good. that in the moment. I don't even think it's that. I think right, it's very easy for me to say it's his best dunk, and it kind of feels like that right now. Or it's easy for me to kind of try and fight off a recency bias and say, no, no, it's not his best dunk. Where when you ask me six months from now when time has passed, it might just be as simple as I'm like, yeah, of course it's his best dunk. That's that's how I feel right now. But yeah, maybe it's a it's a podcast we can do during the off season. We can we can talk Yana's best dunks. Well, for another day though. That's it for us for now. If you enjoyed listening to us, make sure you subscribe to Snapple Podcast, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, and favor us on TuneIn Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at winin 6 Podcasts, And you should read mine, Jordan, and the rest of the team's books writing, herd writing at BehindTheBookPass.com. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.